Welcome to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. While you're enjoying this podcast, please share it out on your social media and also be sure to like the podcast on the service of your choice. It's the beginning of March and it feels like springtime. That means it's barbecue season, y'all. And I can think of no one better to lead us off into the season than the incomparable Ernest Cervantes. Participant on Barbecue Pit Wars, Chop Grilled Master Champion, Chop Judge, won more awards than almost anyone, and has one of the hottest barbecue restaurants in the world, The Burnt Bean Company. This guy has done it all. And he was just nominated for the James Beard Award as the best chef in Texas. So please join me in welcoming Ernest Cervantes from The Burnt Bean Company. This podcast is brought to you by BarbecueData.com. BarbecueData.com is your one-stop shop for all of your barbecue competition data. Historical data, calls, wins, placements, everything under one roof. It's a great way not only to track yourself in the standings, but also to track how you improve your scores from year to year. Listeners of this podcast can receive 20% off of a new subscription to BarbecueData.com with the code PITPOD. That's one word, all capital letters, P-I-T-P-O-D, PITPOD. So check your team scores, check on others, and do it all on barbecuedata.com. All righty. We're here with an interview that I've been dying to do. We got Ernest Cervantes, Burnt Bean Co. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And um, it's been a long time coming, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, judging by your post, man, you're pretty busy cooking food for the masses down there at your restaurant. I mean, it, by all accounts, everything looks amazing. A good friend of mine growing up, I sent him down there about a month ago, and he said he's not had a barbecue experience like that. So that's great. Right on. That's good to hear. <laughs> so I have to ask you, because you're the only person I know that's actually one chopped and judged on chopped, which was more fun. Yeah. Oh, well, of course, judging's a lot easier, man, because there's no pressure on you, you know? You just go in there, bust some balls, and then you're out, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot easier than, uh, you know, being on the, the chopping block, as they say. <laughs> I know, but it's been great to watch you go do all that stuff, and uh, you've really put a good name out there for barbecue, and uh, it's oh, a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's been good to... Uh, compete against you a couple times and share a couple meals with you guys. And first time I ever had beef cheeks, you and Freddie made them and they were just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Try to bring that South Texas love to, uh, are we in Virginia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or were we in the, the Royal? Yeah. No, uh, no, we were in the Royal. Yeah. That was the first time. Yeah. Maybe even Alabama yeah. down there. World <clears throat> food. Yeah. Yeah. We did that too. Remember the first time we did it, we were in Smithfield, Virginia, and uh, we did that Smithfield, uh, the one with uh, uh, Sterling. He did that, uh, what's it called? called? The, big, the guinea pig. The jigger, one of those where you get, yeah. And uh, we were like, uh, we were out there, we were already, we were already what, four days into that trip, and we're like, dude, we missed our breakfast tacos, and we went to the Walmart, and they had some beef cheek, and we made, got tortillas, and we fit the masses, and a lot of people were impressed, man. Oh, I know, dude, and it uh, it's something that, you know, you guys, I, and I blame you and Fred mostly, but you guys just introduced so many of us to different things, like, uh, you know, Darren and I, Darren 
beef cheeks and all that stuff, carne guisada. You know, that's something that I yeah. make all the time now. So <laughs> it's big. Yeah, that's so what Darren, he always calls me. <laughs> but that's what makes barbecue awesome, man, is learning from people that you meet from all around the country. It's yeah, you know, every every place has, you know, their little specialty and and uh that, that's one of ours, our carne guisada, our barbacoa and other things too. I know uh I know Darren's asked me for a couple other recipes on other things and you know, and that's the cool thing about us as barbecue guys is that we're willing to share anything that we can learn. Not necessarily has to do with competition, but like in just different kinds of cuisines that we're not used to making that we've heard of or or we're really not strong at, but you know, we have access to to people that know uh that cuisine and it, it really helps and it makes everything go so good you know right and i think it makes us all better cooks which is what we're yeah. all striving to do anyway yeah or better eaters as i say you know <laughs> I've, I've you know you know with darren and them too you know with with that uh pork loin sandwich that thing you know i did that a couple of times here in town and yeah. uh you know it's like that and i remember when uh darren was opening up that chicken joint uh, we talked about the, that, that flavor of that hot chicken. And, you know, we went to Nashville and, and you know, we did a, 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 like a crawl on, on different kinds of chi- uh, hot chicken. And man, we were dying by the end of the, the trip, but it was, it was worth it, but we learned a lot. So it's a lot of fun when you get a bunch of guys that like to eat food and appreciate good things in life and bourbon and, and, and things like that. And, and it makes, it makes uh, it real enjoyable because, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it's like, I tell people, you know, I'd say 10 years, maybe even a little bit sooner. We really didn't, we really didn't get out of our comfort zone, which was Texas. You know, we always saw, you know, we always had friends like y'all. We were always Facebook friends and we knew acquaintances and that's how we became friends, but we never really got to venture out and and hang out with each other other than if we, if we wanted to once a year, which was a Royal, but um, you know, we never uh, got to that, that point and uh i think you know we kind of closed the gap and i told fred that one time we took we told this as a trilogy road trip where we went to virginia then we went to the royal then we went to the jack and and you know me being part of the smithfield team once i got part of that was tuffy and all those guys and darren i really got to know those guys and and i think it really brought the 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 bond closer and you know that was a time where um you know sterling because back in the day it was king of smokers that's where it was at. And a lot of people wanted to be part of that, but he would only invite, you know, Jamie Greer and, and, and Johnny Trigg. And yeah, those guys are, are phenomenal legends, but it really, they really didn't compete against us guys from uh, you know, IBCA and right. things like that. So we didn't really know them because those guys would always do KCBS. So I think we bridged the gra- the gap when it came to that with, uh, you know, Smithfield really coming in with Emily and all the ladies out there and uh, we kind of got to become friends. And I guess I would call it the icebreaker was done because it was just a matter of time where we got to really got to know each other. And once that happened, it really opened Pandora's box and we all became friends. And once we kind of got to know each other, we're like, yeah, these guys, these Texas boys are pretty cool. And you know, y'all boys over there are pretty cool. And, and we realized that there was a lot more in common that we had other than competition barbecue. And, um, you know, and then the whole IBCA versus KCBS in Alabama, um, that was really cool too. And, uh, you know, the, 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 by then the bond was already done and we were yeah. more hanging out than getting to know each other. And once you get to hang out, you can cut, you know, cut the shit and, you know, Darren and all those guys and you and, and so many Wolf's revenge. I remember was out there too. And hot, Chulas and, 
and all that. I got to know more of the South because when I was on that show, uh, Barbecue uh, Pit Wars. Yeah. But um, uh, other than that, I think that was what really brought us South Texas boys to get to really know y'all. And then that, the rest is history. And now we're all cool and we're all friends. <clears throat> and a lot of people don't realize that before then, the Texas guys never ventured out. Uh, we were happy where we were at. And I think I, you know, me being on pit wars and, and all those shows, it kind of like told these guys, Hey man, if Ernest can do it, we can do it too. And, you know, you see Lee Hinkle out there now and you see, you, you see uh, lucky charms out there and a couple other guys uh, with Fred and uh, you know, you see them out there competing in different States, which is really cool. Cause back in the day, 10 years, even eight years ago, it was unheard of, you know? Right. So, uh, I, I spent a lot of time with Lee Hinkle last year, you know, it, yeah. He was on his little East Coast rampage, and I, every time I, he'd, I'd be somewhere, he'd pop up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. We ended up, like, spending a lot of time together, and it's just – yeah, he's just such a great dude. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it is, and it's really cool that we finally um, bridged that gap and, and everybody became close. And I think now I don't ever think there was ever a time – you can ask the old school guys that, that Texas really bonded – with with anybody outside of texas because at the end of the day it was kcbs versus texas and uh, back in the day and and uh, we never had that bond because we never ventured out and uh there was no need to because the prize money was good we didn't have to travel very far and we had a lot of good competition and now we were just kind of curious on on going out there and, and i told you know fred whenever i was competing out there i was like man we can compete with these guys so um you know, and, and, and that, 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 that bridge gap was made and, and, you know, the rest is history. And now we have a lot of fun. So it's not just a one year thing at the, the Royal, or if you get lucky and get your seven and get draw or get a draw for the, the, the Jack, you know, now when we go to the Jack, it's like a bigger family reunion and we get stupid out there. And uh, the same thing with the, the Royal, it's like, you know, you, you know, you have the, you know, the, the, what is it? The egg rolls and the, the, the sandwiches, oh. uh, Daryl's. Uh, yeah. Darren's thing, and then you have Anella's hot dog thing, and now you have the you know the South Texas carne asada with the rice and the beans and everything, and it's really cool that those traditions are made now, and it feels like we're part of us, and y'all are part of us, so it's it's a it's a win win situation all around. You just described why competition barbecue is so awesome, you know, mm -hmm. and it's everyone always talks about it, but that was a great take on it. One of the things I like to ask people is how do you how do how did your career and life experiences outside of barbecue prepare you to be a pit master? Well, that's been your whole life pretty much, right? Is cooking. Right. Uh, you know, a lot, of, you know, being on, I've been on a lot of interviews and a lot of shows and, you know, the same question gets asked over and over and is, you know, if you weren't a cook or a chef, what would you do in your life? And I really don't know what I would do because this is all I've ever done since I was like 17 years old. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is a, a form of life. It's a lifestyle and, and it's a, it's one of those lifestyles. It's a lot of work. And, but I was, this is all I know. So it doesn't really bother me compared to people that try to get in the restaurant industry or especially try to get into the barbecue restaurant industry, which is a different animal. Um, it's a lot of work and they get, you know, burnout or they get fried and they're like, well, I didn't think it was going to be that, that, that intense. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's just common sense. You know what I mean? So it's um, hard work. You know, it's hard work. It, it, it is a lot of hard work and, and especially if you want to make it, if you want to, if you want to make it really good, you know, you can hire, if you have money and you can hire people and you do it and, you know, you don't have to show up every day, you know, it's fine. But if you really want to put your hands on everything like I do to make sure, like how you said about your friend to have an excellent experience, uh, 
that's where, you know, you have to put in the hours, you put in the 19, 20 hour days and you do it back to back to back to back. And like today, um, you know, today, yesterday's my only day off today. We do sausage tomorrow where the pits are on and they don't stop till Sunday. And that's, that's the story of my life. And, and it's like, wow, is it worth it? I'm like, well, I've, I've waited all my life for this opportunity, you know, to own my own restaurant, much less barbecue. I wouldn't have never gotten into competition barbecue if I didn't want to, at, at the end of the, of the rainbow or at the, you know, as they say, to open up my barbecue joint, you know, that was my whole way is I realistically, I had to market myself and market my brand before I could even open a restaurant due to the fact that I didn't have the, you know, the income of the funds. So it was 13 years in the making and, and now I have it and I, I did not take it for granted. And just as much as, you know, you know, you, especially, you know, you're a competition cook and one of the best in the country, you're not going to go out there and just not necessarily hang out, but you're, you're there to win. Let's keep it real. Everybody's there to win. Everybody's there to kick each other's ass. Yeah. We'll help each other out. And yeah, we're having fun. But between those certain hours of the morning till three o'clock, you're my mortal enemy and I'm there to win. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not only there for the fame, but it's there for the respect and it's there to challenge yourself to be the best cook there was at that, that certain cook off or that certain, uh, you know, tournament. And that's the same philosophy that I brought from, competition barbecue to the restaurant industry is that when I opened up, I wasn't going to be like, Oh, his place is okay. I want it to be the best in Texas, much less the country. And that's my, my goal. And that wasn't, that was right off the bat. I was not going to go, um, you know, I was kicking that fucking door down. You know what I mean? It was one of those type of things. <laughs> Absolutely. And as somebody who's recently transitioned into the barbecue business from my full-time gig, it, uh, yeah, the hours that you put in, you know, it doesn't get easier. It's especially if you care. I mean, I mean, everybody knows how much you care about the food. And I use that as inspiration because I know when I half-assed it and I put out food out there that I, that they say is great, but I know it's not the best that I can do. And that, right. so I try not to do that because I don't do it right. anywhere else. So why should I do it there? Exactly. You know, and, and, and what makes it different is, you know, in competition, barbecue and reality, uh, you're going to have your off days and, and your off days is because, you know, you're only chose one brisket and uh, you know, they might've had a huge gash or just didn't have that pop or you got ribs or, you know, whatever it could be. Um, you know, in the, in the restaurant industry, I tell people, you know, when you have 50 briskets on and 40 something slabs of ribs and all this other kind of food, you have to make sure every single one is perfect because people are traveling, especially now we have a reputation of having some of the best barbecue in Texas, people have high standards when they're going in and they're going to go and butcher you if it's not on. And people don't realize that pressure that's there. But if you have that standard, if you have that, if you train your team that this is our standard, there's no pressure. It's just another day at the job. And that's why I have a team. My team is very, very talented. It's because they know my standard and they know that anything less is not acceptable. So we're not going to have an off day. The only days we have off days is if it's snowing outside like last week or, or sleet. Other than that, we bring our standard every single day. Some briskets are challenging than others, but I know every brisket that I choose. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the deal with that, man. And, and um, um, you have to have that high standard if you want to be the best. Right, right. And that's... It's that kind of man sounded like me talking to Kim at the, before a competition. <laughs> like, Hey, that's not acceptable. Like it's not, it's and, not. And, acceptable. and I've seen, I've seen my team knows. And, and I think that has a lot to do with not only are my standards in barbecue, but 
me being an executive chef, you know, and uh, that was my standards. And people, and I tell my team, don't ever get offended of anything I tell you. I'm not going to do it just to be an asshole. I do it because I expect the best out of you. I'm going to bring the best out of my team. And when you have high standards like that, they get to be proud of the food they're getting. And when they get complimented, let's just say, oh, my God, the sides are amazing. I point to the lady that made them or the guy that made them and they take pride. Like, yeah, well, actually I'm getting complimented too. Or I get write-ups and they're saying the great customer service. And I read it to my team. And I was like, that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you and you and you. And I never take credit where credit's not due. I, if someone comes in their compliments, I'm like, Hey, it's, you know, Stephanie or Hey, it's Chris or it's Anthony or something. I never take it. So they understand that, Hey, we're a family and you get it just as much as me. I'm not going to take every credit for everything and leave y'all out. And they get excited because now they try harder because they know that they're part of something special. Right. And that's super important. You have to have buy-in from your people. Yeah. They have to drink the Kool-Aid, as I say. Right. Because it's a reflection of you. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go back in time a little bit to your competition days. What do you think was, what was the moment that really where you turned from like a really good pit master to a championship pit master. What was that um, turning point? Man, I don't know. I, I, I always had, you know, I always set goals in life. I always set goals. And my first goal, when I started this whole barbecue industry competition life, I, you know, it was first with me and a bunch of drinking buddies. It was like six cooks on our team. And we were there. I think we had more beer than, than food. And, and we partied and And I remember when I won first place, right off the bat and everybody else was excited. It was cool. But then the second time we did a cook off, everybody got drunk and everybody didn't, you know, the brisket was put on late, the ribs, you know, were okay. You know, and I didn't like that. And I'm, I hate to lose. And I realized that the only way I'm going to get really good at this competition shit is to be a one man team or with my wife, you know, and um, I had a couple of friends that would do like ancillaries whenever we would have them. But other than that, because then I would know that no one else is to blame except myself. So when I knew that, I was like, all right. So I set standards. I wanted to be in the best in New Braunfels and then the best in the county and then the Tri-County, which had a bunch of big cook-offs, and then South Texas, Central Texas, and all of Texas. And then after I hit that, I want to be known in the country. It's like, okay, I, I know that guy, Burnt Bean guy. And and that's what my, my goals is, is when you set goals and you start winning – and, you know, you want to have that reputation that, that like, oh, shit, he's rolling up when they roll up and, you, you know, they're like, oh, hell, he's here. And yep. it got to the point where I knew I became successful in Texas is when I used to say it on Facebook, hey, I'm down and bound going to, you know, Amarillo or I'm down and bound and, 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 you know, next stop, Dallas. And it got to the point where the promoters were telling me. Dude, can you not post where you're going because people are dropping out at the last moment because they hear that you're coming? And I was like, really? that felt, yeah, that felt really good when the promoters are like, just show up, don't tell anybody where you're going. And because they would go like, okay, Ernest is going to Dallas. I'm just saying big cities because you don't know that many small ones here. Okay, Ernest is going to Dallas, we're going to Houston. You know what I mean? Because there was more cook-off options. They knew that if I was going to go in there, I was a ringer, and they wanted, you know, they're not going to, unless it's a really big one, uh, they would not go. And that was a really cool thing when people would get pissed that she showed up, you know? <laughs> you know. Or I've only had, had it happen a couple times, but it is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's where I knew that uh, we were getting better. Um, you know, I always tell people, I think the success of me being in, 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 in competition barbecue would have been better 
if I didn't have a real job. You know, I always say that statistically, and I know a lot of people are going to give me flat because I've never said this until the first time here. And I don't know if you can agree with me or not, but I always believe that the greatest and the most successful competition cooks in barbecue were always self-employed. And I think the reason why is one, they had the funds, but two, they had the option to go to every cook-off they could without worrying about a job. Right. I agree with you. And uh, that's that's the one thing that hindered me is that I was an executive chef working 80 hours and then I just hurry up and get my rig and take off. And sometimes I would have to put the meat back in the freezer because something happened to catering or something. So I couldn't be as consistent as I wanted to cook, cooking 35 to 40 cooks a year. It went down to 15. And, you know, when I did go, I was still successful. I always said that if I had a regular, if I was in my own job or my own boss, I think I would have been really, really dominating in the industry of barbecue if I had that opportunity, but I didn't because I had a real job. The ones that are self-employed are the ones that are the most successful because they can go in weekend and week out and go in and travel wherever they want without not worrying about anything. Right. And if you can plan your work, your work life, right. Especially if you have your own company, then you don't have all that extraneous shit in your brain. Like, Oh, I got to check in now and do this and Mm -hmm. all that. And, I found that that's been a huge change in my cooking. Right. Huge change. Yeah, and it's it's the difference between, and I always say that the difference between the normal competition cook and a professional competition cook is the ones that are professional when they do it every week and stay consistent on their product than a guy that did it once a month that they for, kind of forgot what they did. You know, so um, you know it's always fresh on their mind and understanding the textures and the cook times and everything. So, um, you know, I always said that I said, if I always had, if I could ever go back, which I really don't have any urge to go back to competition, but you know, I don't know, five, six years down the line, if, if the burn being successful that I can get away, I might go and do a run and finally be my own boss and be like, fuck this. I'm going to do it every weekend and see what happens. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, it's funny because, you know, at the height of my, my, uh, barbecue competition, I had three years in a row that I hit six. And I never got that seven. And there was one that got seven and I thought I got it in. And then they said there was only, oh, it had to be 50, right? I think it was like 48 or it was something stupid. Like one of them didn't turn into chicken. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm like, come on. So I got shafted three years in a row and I thought, well, I have six in the bung, you know, in the draw. But then I realized how many are in Texas, 200 team or 200 cooks. And I never win any draws. So I never got to go and have the opportunity to represent burnt bean out there. So um, it is what it is, but one year, maybe I'll go do it one year or not. Right now I have no desire to do any more competitions. I'll go hang out. I might do one a year because, you know, the San Antonio rodeo sounds a lot of fun, Yeah. but that, <laughs> um, you know, my focus is on different things. See, you stole one of my earnest questions about competing again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people like right now I have, I have, I guess, you know, Fred and Carlo and all those guys that I hang out with, uh, they do so many competitions and we are on this big group chat that I just live my, you know, I just live my, my urges off of them and they tell me how they did and, and all that good stuff and how it went and who won. And so, and then I follow so many people and it's like, ah, okay, cool. So I get my little kick out of that doing that. But right now I have no urge. I think my focus is on trying to be the best in Texas and barbecue and competition since I already did it in, um, uh, competition that you know i want to do it on this and i want to be one of some of the few you know i I really look up to people like travis that went and did that and he did too was so successful in competition 
but then yet he comes around and opens the restaurant and he fucking destroys it. And, you know, he, he does so, he's so successful at his restaurant and it makes me so proud that there's so many guys out there that did that transition because it is hard, you know, from going from one, one, one spectrum to the other. And it's not even the same. And, and people don't realize that there's nothing similar from competition to regular barbecue. And I really look up to people like Travis Clark and, and there's other guys out there that have, you know, Darren, you know, he's another guy that has a successful barbecue restaurant as well as it was very successful in the competition world. And I, I look up to those guys a lot because I want to be one of the few in Texas that does that too. Well, you're not, if you're not already there, my friend, you're already, mm-hmm. you're very close. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm trying. I'm trying. Very close. So did you have, when you were competing, did you have any habits or rituals or superstitions that you had? Oh man. I, I, like I, I guess we have time. Yeah. I have a lot of them and I'll tell you right off the bat. Uh, the one thing, and you'll probably notice this, but the moment you start becoming more successful in competition, the more and more you all of a sudden have friends that want to come and visit you right conveniently when you're prepping or when you're cutting. Right. And I noticed that, uh, you know, I ended up getting my first trailer and people would just open the door and I was like, what the hell? And then you don't want to be rude and you have all your shit laying right there. And they're just like, really like, like literally taking photographic memories in their head. Like, okay, he had this or he had Cosmos or he had, you know, this injection right. or he's using this kind of meat. And you're like, so what I end up doing, you can ask anybody in Texas, how I, I, I prep, I prep in my underwear. I literally <laughs> prep no shirt, nothing else, just my underwear and flip-flops. And the reason why it was a shock value because they would open the door not. Uh, you know, surprisingly, I'm like, hey, what's up, man? They're like, whoa! I'm like, what's going on, man? Come on in. They're like, no, it's cool. And they would freak out, and uh, I would be known for like, don't go into Ernie's place unless he's done prepping to put his clothes back on. I would literally prep butt naked, <laughs> other than my underwear, and I have no shame. And it's like people. It, it's funny because the only people that were used to it was like Fred or Carlo. Um, I think sometimes Roddy, but everybody knew on Friday, don't go when Ernie. You know, un, un, unloads. If it's if Ernie hasn't come out, he's prepping, and he's probably naked. So uh, they would leave me alone, and that was the only way for these guys to stop shaking on me, is, is uh, to is, is to prep literally buck naked. And uh, my tradition was I would take I would eat hot pockets every night, and uh, and ramen. I was that was the whole deal with me is that I would eat, uh, take it and put it in my microwave in, in the pit trailer, and and that was my tradition. And that was it. But yeah, my, my thing everybody knew me for was I would, I would prep in my underwear. My, my, I, that's it. My I doubt wife. that would keep, I doubt that kept, kept Roddy out of the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys kind of liked it, but yeah, it was, it was funny because people would go in there or even news people that were in the area that wanted an article. They would just walk in and back in the day, I'm like, dude, I got to prep and I got to get a lot of shit done. And y'all are really keeping me behind. Once I got my underwear, I noticed that I was left alone. <laughs> that's amazing. That's exactly why this podcast cast exists for stories like that. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I have some crazy story, and then there's other stories that I used to walk out in the uh, my underwear, you know, going to the the, the porta potties and be like, "Dude, is he in his fucking underwear?" I'd be like, just waving, and they're like, "Dude, that's only Ernie would do that shit." <laughs> I did it at the Royal. I did it everywhere. That's so, awesome. Yeah, let's talk people real quick before we get to the to the final questions on this. Who's impacted yeah. your life the most in competition barbecue? Um, man, I'll tell you one thing, um, Luke, is that when I did, when I, when I came up in competition barbecue, there wasn't anybody to look up to because there was, it was always clicks in Texas. 
you were in clicks and there was like the old school guys and then yep. the new school guys and the new school guys had no no fucking clue what they were doing and the old school guys unless you want a lot they would bring you it's kind of like the cool table at the lunchroom they would invite you in their cool part unless you they knew who you were and it was like you know people like craig sherry and and the canterbury's and, and uh ronnie wade and all them great people but when i started they would shun you you know like go away shoe fly so i I didn't, and and when I started, there was no competition classes. There wasn't. There right. one. There was one a couple of years later called the the Johnny Trigg. Was it called Johnny Trigg and Pellet Envy? Remember when Pellet Envy and Johnny Trigg was doing that run? Yep, Rod Gray. Yeah, called? yeah, Rod Gray. I know, but they used to have a name for it. Um, uh, gosh, we anyways, were talking about this the other day. I can't remember yeah, the name it was, of it. When they started coming out with that cooking class. You know, everybody was taking it. That was when everybody started using the blue bottle and, and you know the tiger sauce and all the stuff that Johnny Trigg used. But growing up, uh, I mean, growing in this industry, there was no one to look up to, or for me, of course. And um, uh, and there was nothing other than internet, and there wasn't even that many internet groups. So it, much less, you know, in KCBS, you know, y'all can go from different states and understand the process. IBCA was a different animal. You know, it was like what you knew. And so I did a lot of research and bought so many books and on the Internet, just, you know, practicing and, and you know, crashing burns and, and, and finding some aha moments. But I really didn't have anybody that I looked up to. Um, you know, you wanted to be like a Ronnie Way that would win everywhere he went. But as the, as the more and more I did it, the better and better I got, the more and more of a reputation I got is like, who's this guy? And uh, and people started respecting me. And uh, and that's where it was cool. But back in the day, there was no classes, man. Everybody now right. days shaves anybody that's been successful now in IBCA or in KCBS shaves a good two to three years taking classes because it was a lot oh. of aha moments back in the day. And like, oh, I didn't think about that or, oh, you know, and things like that. So um, back in the day, there was nothing like that, that these guys go in these classes and 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 they get those aha moments from them and, and they pay someone to do it and they shave two to three years off and they become more successful quicker. Not when, when I was doing it. Back in the day, it was nobody. Right. And and I don't want to sound arrogant, but I really didn't look up to anybody because there was really no one up to, to look up to. Other than, uh, I think, what was it, three or four years later, once I started cooking, it's when that show Pitmasters came out. Yep. It had Harry Sue and it had Tuffy and Myron and Johnny Trigg and uh melissa cookston and that other chick from the chicks or whatever it was called and uh leanne whippen yeah leanne whippen and that's when you're like whoa you start looking up to and that's when you have the dvr you're stopping and you know rewinding in slow-mo to see what they're using am i right and if you say you didn't if you were into it you're lying because everybody would literally copy to see what they had and you would die to know what was in tuffy's beef injection and things like that and why was it so thick and you're like why would you know just different things but until then there wasn't really anybody that we looked up to it was just you tried your best and you learned from what you did and then you moved on uh you would probably go judge a couple of contests just to see the flavor profile but there wasn't yeah. really anybody brother you know when oh, I, man, I, I can't I... believe i'm i can't believe i'm like 42 and i i finished i finished competing when i was 40 and I started in my 20s, and I can't believe I'm old school. That's crazy. When I was in my end in, in of my 30s, I was old school, and that's kind of scary. But you know. <laughs> but no, you're. So was it the same in Texas? Like you mentioned the old guard and how they kind of standoffish with the new people a little bit. It's like mm-hmm. that out here too. Until you won, once you won a right. contest, then they were like, "Oh, hey, 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, come on in. Come and sit with us. And that's when I knew. Here's a couple of things about me, Luke, that I don't know if you know about me, but I always said if the good Lord blessed me with a talent, I would pay it forward. And I would, and any guy, when I became successful at the height of my, my cooking career, any guys that wanted, that were new, that wanted to learn, or they felt like they were an outcast because no one wanted to bring them in because they were kind of shy. I would welcome it. And that's why everybody's like, man, aren't you so cool? He'll help you. As I always said, if I get to that point, I'm going to help everybody because when I started, it sucked being the loner. And it sucked that no one would want to help me. And I would, and, and these guys would really try and, um, and I would go and help them or they come and ask me questions and I'd help them or they bring me food. I'd be like, all right, it's too salty or, Hey, it's a little too tough. Or right. like, dude, you know, now I see these guys that are real successful that I helped them when they started. And they're like, dude, it's because of you that we got to this level. And it's because of you that, you know, you, you welcome me in and you heard, I know I called you 40 times and I know you're probably tired of it, but, you answered my questions and you did everything. And I always said that I wanted to be someone that people could look up to and say, Hey man, it's because of you that inspired me to cook harder or, or, you know, you really helped me in my, my barbecue career because when I did it, no one was there for me. So I always said, if I became successful with the Lord's grace, that I would pay it forward and help other people too. And I've done that. And, you know, I've helped people get on chopped as well, because at the end of the day, I can tell you exactly what I'm going to use, but you're going to put your own spin on it. So, you know, that's what I always did. And and that's what it should be. That's, that's what barbecue should be is, is, is paying it forward and helping anybody out. And that's what I do. And I still do it. And people are like calling me. I'm like, dude, I haven't been in the game for three years. And people are still asking for advice. I'm like, you know, how long do you cook your briskets to or whatever? And it's like, man, I don't remember those kind of things, but you know, I'm always willing to help people out. And I've always been that kind of guy that's been, I never, I never was that kind of guy that's like, I'm not going to tell you my secrets. That's, you know, I never, I could care less, you know, and, and that was one of my things is that um, I never asked for help and that was maybe my fault, but I was always willing to help. And that's, yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I think about the people that I've helped over the years and when they tell you that, that just kind of yeah. validates why we do what we do. Yeah. And, and it does because at the end of the day, you know, Luke, Yes, we all put our footprint in the sand when it comes to the barbecue, and people will remember you in old Virginia, and people will always remember burnt bean. And uh, but at the same time, it, it doesn't matter how good of a cook we were; it was more of a how a, kind of a person he was than right. anything else. And they'll remember you more as a person than your cook that you cooked one time in some town in Virginia, and you got first place, perfect score, one eighty chicken. <laughs> no one's gonna remember that shit, but they're gonna remember how you treated people. Right. And that's the way it should be. And, and, you know, hell, um, hell, you invited me to be on your podcast and I haven't been in the industry in a long time, but it tickles me pink that you're still inviting me to be on your show, which is, I'm, I'm honored. Oh, it's an honor to have you on here as, as you mentioned, you're OG, man. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I can't believe I'm OG, but I'm, I'm literally OG, man. You're three years younger than me and I consider you OG. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy, right? Uh, so you're 39, 40, and you're an OG. I'm like, yeah, that's what they tell me. So, <laughs> All right, well, I have some rapid-fire questions. These are the last Dude. ones. They're fun. But there is okay. one more that I got to ask because I don't know the answer to it. Okay. But I know that it's a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. Tell me the legend of the brisket hat. The brisket cartel hat? Yeah. This yeah. one right here? Yep. So – um. There's a guy named Hondo uh, Hernandez in, in California and him, yeah. and he's my, he's the guy that made all my shirts. And one day he's like, dude, you should come up with like a, like a group 
of the baddest because at the time I was one of the best brisket cookers in Texas. And um, he's like, dude, you should probably come up with this fucking group that just has the best barbecue brisket cookers in the world. And I'm like, all right, cool. And he's like, all right, what are we going to call it? And I'm like, he had an idea and he, he did the, the, the old school, old English on it. But if you look at our brisket cartel thing, it was uh, it's the lettering's different. He kind of changed it up. But then we called it the brisket cartel. And we wanted the best in the industry and in the competition world. It didn't matter how good of a competition cook you were or how good of a chicken cooker. You had to be a bad motherfucker when it came to brisket. And the two criteria is, is one, you had to be a self-made, uh, self-made. And, and the other one is you had to, you had to be a consistently good brisket cooker. You know, it didn't matter if you were number one in ribs or the cooker of the year. And, but you had to be good. And then you had to be, uh, once we got our initial group, just like any kind of other cartel thing, it was it was silly at the time, is that you had to be unanimously voted. You know, it wasn't just me. It had to be everybody had to vote you. And it had a lot to do with your character. It had a lot to do with of who you were cooking with or what kind of restaurant you had. And that's why we have, you know, we have like 22 members and we're still growing. Um, and uh, it's some of the baddest dudes in, in the industry. And it got to the point where it was so much of an elite group but at the same time so hard to get into that everybody wanted it and a lot of people would even you know carbon copy our our um our caps and, and say they're part of it because they knew that it was like well it's just a brisket cap I'm like well if it's so much then why did you go and make your own because you wanted to be part of the group and then there's a lot of people that give me shit from kcbs or ibca they're like dude why don't you put me in i'm like and and, and robert lerma said it best he's like if you're asking you're not ready Right. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I show up to barbecue joints and and I'll have a cap with me and I'll leave it there. And the guy starts crying because he knows that, uh, you know, it's an elite group and we're still growing. But it's about the quality, not the quantity. We're not going to just give every dude a cap, you know, uh, and, and some people like uh, Blaine always gives me shit. He's like, dude, I want this and I want that. I'm like, I know, bro. But, you know, you have to be in honesty. You know, there's so many, you know. Uh, you know, Garen's in the group and, and there's a lot of other cats in a group too, but it's, it's, it's an elite group that, you know, even, even though we're, um, you know, in the industry, um, and the restaurants too, it's, it's, it's one of those type of things that who, anybody that wears this hat knows what's up. And you got to admit, you know, when you see it, they're like, you got one, you know, if you got one, you, you got the respect and it's kind of like you know, like the Hell's Angels or something, you know, it's one of those elite groups and people might say it's funny. And, and I get a lot of people like, well, that's just a dumb group, but I want to be in it. I'm like, you see, that's what I'm saying. And then, right, right. And then I've, I've gotten some people like, I know, uh, I'm not going to say any names, but there's just one guy that the restaurant that he, he owns is one of the most prolific restaurants in the industry, but it wasn't him that made it that way. It was his father. You understand what I'm saying? Right. It, you have to be self-made. It, it's not like it was given to you. That was given to you. Even though you're doing a great job, we're not going to let you in the club because your dad's the one that did it, not you. I give your dad one, but right. not you. You know what I mean? So it's one of those type <laughs> of things. But, you know, the brisket cartel is strong. And, you know, when you're in it, too, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, perks to it, too. And not only that, we all help each other out. And a lot of people don't know that. It's like this little fraternity. If you need help with your brisket or your shit's off, someone's going to help you and then they get stronger. You know, it's a, uh, my favorite thing to do is to be walking through a competition and see a guy. And I'm like, Nope, it, it, you didn't get that. 
You had that yeah. made. There's this one in your area. It's not. It's not. It's not my boy Wolf's Revenge. There's another cat, and I, I've called him out so many times. Like, dude, stop trying to be part of something you're not. And he's like, "Well, I might make my." I'm like, "Dude, I don't care." But it's so silly, and you look silly because <laughs> we all silly. know you're not part of it. You know, right? It's um, and it's uh, hilarious. It's, yeah, man, and, and it's like uh, <laughs> these people, and it's like they they don't think it's a big deal, but they want to be part of the club and. Uh, you know, we're, we got a lot of cool things coming around too. We got some really cool jackets that we're giving the the members and new uh, j- uh, new uh, type of swag that nice. we serve. But, you know, it's it's a really cool group. Uh, man. The only reason I brought it up is because last time at, or at the Royal, I saw a couple, and I'm like, "There's no chance. Come on, like, <laughs> what's going on?" <laughs> it's yeah, funny. There's, there's some posers. Yeah, cool, man. Well, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time, but I'm going to hit you with these four questions. All right? Okay. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Um, squeezing of briskets. It's the worst. It's the worst, man. <laughs> it's like we all know that they're the, between the flat and the point. They're just pocket of juice. Stop squeezing it or, or things like that. Um, and then, <laughs> I, you know, the, the old school guys, Texas is a different. There's so many Facebook groups in Texas that those old school guys are just they're so dumb. But you just just leave them alone. You know, but yeah, squeezing briskets drives me nuts. That's squeeze, uh, what is it? Squeeze, squeeze Charmin, not briskets, man. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you already mentioned that your favorite, uh, you like Hot Pockets and Ramen. Do you have a post-competition meal that you like? I do. Chinese food. If I win Grand Champion, it's, it's uh, Chinese food. I awesome. love Chinese food at the end. and I, Or pizza. Nice. If, do I you don't have win, a... I, if I don't win, I eat whatever's at home or I eat the leftovers. <laughs> do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people a favorite present yeah like what i don't know like a book or a hat or oh oh i give them i usually give them stickers or shirts yeah. um i also also if you're really close to me i love to give knives that's one of my favorite gifts yeah I, I like to give knives like quality knives like when we went to uh when we went to arkansas i gifted uh um, uh, Fred with a like a three hundred and fifty dollars shun knife, and and Roddy one too. I've given knives to a lot of guys that um either I see you know I always go to their place and I see if they're not good yet or or they have struggle and it's because of a knife. I go the next time and I gift them the knife that they need to bet get better at what they're doing. Either it it's from trimming or to when they're cutting or when they're you know doing their plate presentation i see what they need and i gift them to that stuff so knives is another big one if i really respect you i give you knives that's awesome i give men underwear so oh, that's nice. Weird. <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> all right last question dude if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it getting a message out to millions what would it say and why oh man um I guess my, my, my thing would be, I guess on, on any kind of interstate, it'd be like, uh, you know, things simple like this, uh, believe in your dreams because they do come true. Look at me. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, That's man. awesome. Well, Ernest, I want to thank you so much for taking time, bud. Oh, no problem. Sorry about the other day. I was too busy playing golf. That's I all right. It. It just... I'm like, you got to tell me because I'll forget, man. Hey, next I'm coming down probably next winter. You're going to have to save right a tea on. time for me. Oh, I'm all about. about I may not be able to beat you in brisket, but I'll get that ass on the golf course. Oh, bring some money. That's all I got to (laughs) say. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right, brother. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and to share it out with your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke TikTok as well. Old Virginia Smoke, one word. That's all you have to search for. It's hilarious. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedanka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2022.